Let's stand with me, please. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Father, we thank you for your word and this great revelation of Jesus that you want us to have life abundantly here on this earth and in eternity. Lord, I I just pray for anyone here that doesn't know you, that, Father, you just, in this day, reveal yourself to them, reveal your plan, your radical plan for eternity for them. And, Father, your great gift for us. For those of us who are followers of your Son, let us see how to walk in that best life ever, in the life abundantly, we pray. Touch us and guide us in this and give us freedom to share this message once again this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week on our anniversary Sunday, I laid uh, the foundation of this idea of life abundantly, of the best life ever. Last week's message, frankly, is the most important message of the best life ever. It's the one that is foundational to everything else. You can discover some of these other truths, and it will be, uh, it'll be good for you, but these other things are all built on the message uh, of last week. What you have to understand about Jesus' teaching, and we're going to take a look at some of the things he tells us to do today. Jesus' teaching seemed upside down in many ways to the culture of the day. That's a little hard for us to understand and for us to grasp. At times, some of the things we'll talk about today are pretty radical, as pretty radical ideas for us and against our flesh nature. But uh, because of the fact that our nation, our constitution, our declaration, the culture of our nation is kind of embedded with the values of Christianity and how we see people, how we see each other, the value of each human life and the value, that the uniqueness of each human life, it's hard to understand culture's Uh, for us where that wasn't the case. And that definitely wasn't the case in the Roman culture. That was a power-centered culture. It was an authoritarian culture. It was a prideful culture. Definitely wasn't the culture of the Jewish people who had an elitist kind of a a view as they mistook the first part of, uh, of, of the coming of Christ. And so some of the things that we'll talk about today seem... Uh, not quite as radical as they would have been in that day, but they would have been very, very radical in that day. What we should consider is how far he would have that teaching to go for us today. How, how, how far down the line does he want us to follow that teaching? And I would tell you he wants us to follow it to the end and not cut it short. So what we have here in this passage is Jesus saying, that he has come to give us life to the full, life abundantly. Uh, That starts, as we talked last Sunday, first of all, through reconnection and reconciliation with God the Father. Until you have that, until you enter into that relationship and, and Christianity and church becomes more than a religious activity that you do or a cultural activity that you do, and you begin to enter in, learn how to enter into a relationship that is personal between you and God, you'll never discover the fullness of life 
that Jesus has for you. But then Jesus, understanding that we were born with a sin nature and born in cultures that have been built on a sin nature, he gives us very clear teaching about how to live our life and the things we're to do. And this week and next week, I want to take just a few minutes and touch on a few of those for you. In Proverbs chapter 8, we get this song of wisdom. All of the first part of Proverbs has given us this revelation of wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to act. Knowledge is knowing things. Wisdom is knowing how to apply them in our life. And the implication of the word is that because we have a sin nature, because we were raised in that sin nature, that we don't know how to act. Are you hearing me? We think we do. And even as Christians, even as Christ followers, we can think we know how to act. And many times how we're really acting is infused with our, the way we were raised, or even if we've rejected that, it may be raised by our cult, be, be infused with our culture, or it may just simply be infused with our old sin nature and how we used to act and what we really need to get set free from. And so if you want to have your best life ever, you've got to really dig into discovering how Christ would have you to live. At the end of Proverbs chapter 8, he gives us this, this great statement. It says this, Oh now, and now, O oh sons, listen to me. Blessed, happy, empowered are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Hear instruction and be Don't say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. Don't say, I'm going to live my life my own way. That's the path to foolishness. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not neglect it. Don't, don't be light with this. Don't neglect it. Blessed, empowered, strengthened is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. The implication again here is that we, we need to take this so seriously that daily we're seeking him about these areas of our life that he would pour into our life. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. You read verse 35 again. Whoever finds me, what? Finds wisdom. Find how, finds how God would have us to live. Finds life. This life abundantly, this life to the full. Obta and obtains the favor of God. So we find the life and favor when we do life God's ways. So today I'm going to share with you just four quick thoughts on things we need to do God's way instead of our way. All of them could be a sermon on their own. But my challenge to you is that you'll take these notes like we do every week. We ask you not to, we don't give you notes just so you can have something to do while I'm talking. Uh, we, we hope you'll take these and into your, uh, when you make your appointment with God and you meet that appointment with God, that you will pray through the notes. You'll sit and say, okay, this is what pastor taught on. This is what your word says. God, what are you saying uh, to me? Now, as we think about these four things, we've got to begin to examine how we live by them, how, what we are. So maybe as we think about them, 
you were raised in a family that on a scale of one being the worst and ten being the best, your family's nature was a two in them. And, and now you've overcome your family's nature to some degree, and you're a solid four. Or maybe your family was a solid five, and you're now a solid seven, and you're, you feel pretty good about yourself because you've made progress. But real wisdom, the real goal, isn't that we just get better than our family was, or our culture is, or our flesh nature is. The real goal is to be completely obedient to Christ, to really be formed in his nature and his image. So we're going to look at just four really simple instructions. Three of them I think you'll get right away. The fourth one is the hardest one about things we need to really examine our life, and I'm going to give you some challenges uh, for the week. Here's the first one. Be thankful. Be thankful. Live a thankful life. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let God come into your life, whatever you're facing, whatever things going on in your life, whatever challenges are before you, whatever seems overwhelming in your life, let the peace of God rule in your heart, not that thing. Not that thing that's troubling your mind, not that thing you're worried about. Don't let that rule your heart. Let the peace of God rule your heart. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Awareness of God's goodness in our past and being thankful for that goodness in our past builds faith for the troubles you face today. This was one of the cruxes of the problem with the children of Israel when they came out of, of Egypt. God moved in dynamic, powerful ways to get them free from Egypt so they could go and begin to fulfill his purpose. And yet they get out in the desert and they seem to have erased in their thinking in their mind all of the mighty, majestic things God did to set them free from Egypt, and every time they have a problem, they freak out. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to give up on God. They're ready to go back into slavery. They don't have any faith in God. And frankly, the Bible says this agitates God. These stiff-necked, hard-headed people that can't see that I have moved them in their behalf. So you find them in places where they need water, as we've talked many times. A legitimate need. A legitimate need. But instead of saying, God, you've let us out here. We know you haven't let us out here to die. We know you've rescued us from Egypt for a purpose. Father, supply water for us. Instead of asking him for their need, they go, oh, God's brought us out here to die. He just brought us out here to kill us. We should go back to Egypt. And this is, this is the crux of the problem with mankind, is instead of remembering what God has done for us, we begin to get, you know, kind of fixated on the problem of the day. And we get so fixated on it that it begins to rule our spirit. When we face life with a sense of overwhelming crisis, 
whether that's an ongoing habit in your life that you live in a state of overwhelming crisis or whether it's a momentary thing. Every now and then you get in these states of overwhelming crisis and despair and hopelessness and life is terrible. We dishonor God who has taken care of us up to this point. We forget the God who has helped us up until right now. And we bring a sense of doom and gloom into our lives and into the lives of everybody that we fellowship with. Instead of looking at our problem and saying, well, I, I've had problems before and God, I've had problems bigger than this or this, maybe this is my biggest problem, but whatever it is, hey, God has faithfully shown me that he will be with me. And so instead of me living under the shadow of the crisis, I'm going to live with a spirit of thankfulness and gratefulness for God. In the gloom and doom, there's no life to the full there. There's no uh, best life ever. The wisdom of God shows us that the best life ever begins with a thankful heart for the good God has done in our lives, living in expectancy that this is a revelation of what God's going to do in our lives now and in the future. And so the heart of the Christian is a, a thankful, thankful heart. So here's assignment number one. In your appointment with God, take time this week to write down, literally write down, get a piece of paper out, get out your phone and your notes, whatever you've, you've got, literally list them so you can see them. Make yourself put them down someplace. Write them, down the good things God has done in your life up until now and be thankful for them. Look at the good things going on in your life right now. You have a roof over your head. You have coats to wear. You have food to eat. You have all these good things going on. You, you may be in a crisis. You may be in a tough time. It may be rough right now, some things that are going on. But look at all the good things that God has done. Look back at other times when you've been in crisis and how God brought you through that and brought you to this new place and be thankful for the work of God in your life. See what he's done in the past and recognize he's going to do it for you in the future. So if you've been coming here for a while, uh, you'll get some letters from me over the next few weeks encouraging you to develop this thankfulness in your home. It's the perfect time of the year to do it. Thanksgiving's coming. But to sit around, if you have children, to sit around with your spouse and talk about the good things God's done for you. To get with some friends. To do this as an exercise in your small group. To sit with your friends in your small group and talk about the good things that are going on in your life. That doesn't mean we can't say, hey, I've got this crisis going on or I've got this job issue going on or I've got this uh, thing that's really troubling me going on. All of that's fine. But it needs to be built on a foundation of I'm thankful that God is always taking care of me because that builds faith that he'll take care of you now. Be thankful. Be thankful for the good things. Weigh out your words. Weigh out your actions and your spirit. Are they weighted towards complaining and doubt or are they weighted towards thankfulness? Which way do they lean? Weigh your own life and words out carefully. And then don't blame it on somebody else. Don't blame it on your stupid kids or your stupid husband. Please don't blame it on your stupid husband. You know, look at your life and say, what is this about? 
I need to begin to be thankful for what God's done for me. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, it says, And the Lord's servant, are you the Lord's servant? Must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. So here's, here's a, this very simple thing. Don't be quarrelsome. Just don't be quarrelsome. This is a person who can't let stuff go. They're just, they're challenging all the time. They're contrarian, contrarian in nature. This is when you say, boy, the sky is really beautifully blue today. And they go, well, if you say so, it doesn't look, I, I prefer a darker blue than that. This is a person, they just, they, just can't, they just can't get along. Everything has to be corrected and stated in their point of view. If you don't say it just right, if you don't use just the right words, say just the right things, then their eyes are rolling, they're, <laughs> and they're, they're saying, this is the way you're supposed to say it. This is the way it's supposed to be done. Every hill is, worth, is one worth dying on. Many times, even in the minor things in life, there's just this spirit that goes, maybe they've learned it in the home they grew up, maybe it's just their nature, but they've just learned to be this person of conflict. Now listen, we need to be aware of this. We are in, have you noticed, we're in political times? Anybody pay attention? And it's contentious political times. So I would tell, you, tell us as Christians, uh, our highest goal isn't to win political battles. Our highest goal is to introduce people to Christ. So you've got to be a little careful here. You've got to be wise here. You've got to use your wisdom in this. So we're given in this scripture three boundaries in our disagreements. We'll have disagreements. It doesn't say, uh, hey, you servants of the Lord, shut up and never say anything. It says don't be quarrelsome. Don't be looking for the fight. Don't be jumping on every little thing. Don't be quarrelsome in, in our disagreements, whether it's about politics or faith or anything else. So three, three simple truths. Be able to teach. In plain language, before you get in the discussion and the disagreement, know what you're talking about. Know what, take some time, Study the facts. Know why you believe what you believe. Be able to put it in clear words. Know what you're talking about. If you're for something, why are you for it? If you're against something, know why you're against it. If you don't know, if you just say, well, the Bible says so. Well, yeah, but the Bible gives us reasons too. The Bible tells us why we should do that. The Bible doesn't just want us to go around. The Bible wants us to instruct people and to teach people and to reveal things to people so we learn and you say well I don't know how to do it then get around some people who have thought about it in your small group say you know this subject keeps coming up I believe this uh, can some of you tell me why I believe it I feel convinced I feel convicted this is the truth why should I feel convicted and convinced this is the truth and be prepared for somebody to say well because you should, the reason you, you don't know it because you shouldn't be convinced that that's the truth Let's talk about it. And get yourself the place that if you're going to, 
if you're going to enter into the argument, if you're going to enter into the discussion, know what you're talking about. I, I was watching two of my friends on different sides of an issue uh, on, on, uh, discussing it in a public setting a few weeks ago, and I finally just had to say, you know, I, I love you both, but neither one of you have the facts. Neither one of you have the facts. You're both arguing out of emotion instead of arguing out of fundamental truth. So be able to teach. Number two, be patient. Patience is a call to understand, to really make sure you understand what the other person believes and to understand why they believe it. Why do they believe the way they believe? What's brought them to that point? Most of the time, before you're ever going to move somebody off of a perspective that they have, it's going to first come from understanding the perspective they have and how they got there. What led them to that point? And to give them the respect you want to have, that you want them to listen to you, you've got to give them some, some respect and listen to them. Be patient. Be patient. And three, Correct with gentleness. That's what it says right here. Correct with gentleness. Uh, can I just really simplify this really, really simple for us? Uh, start off with just no name calling. Didn't we learn that in grade school? And yet, boy, you, you, you look at the political structure of the day and even how Christians respond in it, and it's not long until we're calling each other names and accusing each other of being godless or whatever, and we don't even understand really what the other person believes or why they got there. See, when it comes to faith, especially faith, we're called to enter into the discussion. We're not allowed to just be quiet. We're just called not to be quarrelsome. We're called to be wise. If you're quarrelsome in your home, if you're quarrelsome in your life, if everything is a debate and everything is an argument and everything is you know, up for challenge, there's no life to the full in the middle of that. That's everybody gets wore out. Everybody gets beat up. Sometimes you've got to ask yourself, what's the big deal? Sometimes we just have to overlook the wrong or sometimes we just have to say, you know, this just isn't worth the discussion right now. So here's, here's appointment, here's assignment number two. In your appointment with God, be honest with God. L let's lay your life before God and just ask him a very simple thing. God, am I easy or hard to be around? Is it, it, do I make it easy for people to be around? Even when I, when, I, when I disagree with people, do I do it with respect and honesty? Do I, do I treat people rightly? Because quarreling does not lead to the best life ever. God, I don't want to be a quarrelsome person that sets people off. I want to be a wise person that draws people in. Here's the third thing that goes with all this. Right in the same passage, it says, be kind. Be kind. And, and, it, and it qualifies that kind so that we, we can live with it. It says, be kind to everyone. Your life will brighten up when you brighten up. When you begin to see people rightly, and you begin to stop being quarrelsome, you start being thankful, and you start deciding, I'm going to be kind to people, 
your life will begin to brighten up. Instead of waiting for someone to brighten your day, brighten theirs. Just be a person who says, you know, I'm going to be thankful for things and I'm going to be kind to people. Now, recognize where the pitfalls of this are. When things are not going well, what happens? We get on edge. We get more short with people. We get more aggravated. Our words become more cutting. We've got to recognize that pitfall. And even in the worst of days, we need to say, Lord, I want to get over this. I want to be kind to people. Even when I have to say no to them or I have to speak, I want to be kind to them. So you want your best life ever. Determine that if it's not going well for me right now, but I'm not going to let that impact others. I'm going to be kind and thankful to other people. Our spirit doesn't always want to be kind. Am I the only person like that? There are times when I just want to not be kind. You're all looking at me like I'm in foreign territory. Is anybody else here never, never, there's times you don't want to be kind? Thank you for the four or five of you that are telling that. Thank you, I appreciate that. The rest of you, you saints of God, I love you so much. I stand in admiration of your ability to never have. God is good, isn't he? Listen to Proverbs 8.34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my door. This person says, okay, okay, I'm watching here. I'm watching my life here. I'm paying attention to you, God. Am I doing what you tell me to do? I'm waiting for you to instruct me. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. What this is saying is if you don't find this grateful spirit, if you don't find this getting over being quarrelsome, if you don't find this kindness, you're going to miss the favor of God. He who fails to find me injures himself. You may think you're winning, but you're injuring yourself. All who hate me love death. So here's assignment number three. In your appointment with God, ask him to make you aware of times when you can show kindness to others. Just begin to become, say, God, I, I don't want to be a seven on this scale. I don't want to be an eight on this scale. I want to be a 10 on this scale. Urge me. Speak to me. As I go through my day, let me hear your whisper. Stand here for a moment. Keep, hold the door open. Help, go help that person out. Look this person in the eye and say something kind to him. God, help me to grow to a 10 in kindness. Show me where I wasn't kind yesterday. And help me to be kind today. Okay, now let's get down to the tough one. All of those are pretty easy if you'll just listen to God. He'll help you with all those. And you'll, you'll feel the results of them almost instantly when you stop being quarrelsome and you start being thankful and you start being increasingly kind. You say, well, I, I am kind. Well, again, what's that scale? Where are you at? Are you a six? And maybe you've lived around a bunch of threes. God wants you to still be a ten. Here's a tough one. Forgive others. This is one of Jesus' most radical and difficult teachings. In Matthew 6, 14, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive, you, forgive your trespasses. This is never a statement. The Bible never gives us a statement that we 
uh, you know, we haven't been hurt. The scale of how we have been hurt is different in all of our life. You may have been hurt by someone uh, deeply. But you've got to understand, as long as you carry that hurt in you, you can never have your best life ever. As long as that hurts in you, you can't have it. And I would bet that all of us have been hurt by someone at some point in time. In fact, some of you have been hurt so badly that the idea of forgiveness seems insulting. It seems ridiculous. Almost every time when I talk about this topic, I'll have somebody come to me within a week or two of it, and they will say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about that. I've got a real issue. And they'll, they'll tell me something that somebody in their past has done to them. And by the time they're done telling me what happened to them, I want revenge. <laughs> it's so bad and so horrendous, uh, so disgusting that you just think, God, where was the lightning at that point in time? It seems like it should have been coming down from heaven. And yet, here they sit, maybe years later, and that wound is still open. It's still open. Every time it gets brushed up against, it still bleeds. It's still there, right in their life. And I'm telling you, if that's your case, God doesn't want you to live that way. He wants to heal you. Now, I don't think God's asking you to be their best friend. Forgiveness is about letting go of the abuses and what they caused in you. Here's what God is saying. Forgive them their abuses the way you want me to forgive you of yours. If you will be healthy enough to see that you have sinned against his holiness, he can begin to heal you of the people who have harmed you. And he promises if you'll lay those down, he'll lay every abuse against him down. What are you laying down? Here's what we're laying down. We're laying down the bitterness caused by the wound. We're laying down the hatred that stirs in our mind and our heart. And we're saying, God, I... I recognize that's not you. I can't have my best life ever if my heart is filled with bitterness and hatred and with a desire for revenge. Now, most of us probably don't desire, you know, revenge in a physical sense, but we have our speech laid out in our head of what we would say to them if we got a chance. And I want to tell you, it's... it's that's just the sign of the wound. That's just the stench of the wound. The radical call of Jesus is to love them. Now, don't confuse, you know, love with the love the world talks about. But yes, it's to love them. This is about new life for you. This is about you being healed from the damage of what they have done inside of you. This is about you seeing the world without the wound. This is about your innocence being returned to you and your spirit of love and kindness being returned to you. And love, this love, is simply rebuilding the desire of wanting the best for them. 
How do we get there? How do we get there? We get there through prayer. Through taking that person to the Lord in prayer. And, and I, I've said this to you many times, but I want to repeat it. To <laughs> there have been many times when I've recognized, God, I've got this. I'm, I'm really not happy with this person. I really don't like them. I don't like what they've done. God, I need to get healed from this. Uh, God, just, I just want you to bless them and bless their family and pour your spirit of love and joy out upon them. And now, God, I want you to forgive me for lying to you because you know I didn't really mean that prayer. <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is the struggle your pastor has, folks. I don't know about you, but I, when people hurt you, you struggle. I do anyway. But you've got to consider this. My bitterness is my wound. My, my, my dislike is, is, is the evidence that I'm still broken. As long as that I have that bitterness, as long as I carry that wound, I can't have my best life ever. I've got to find a way to lay it down. The wound is real. It is a stain in my soul. It is a weight upon my life. It is a stench in my, in my heart that harms me and keeps me from obtaining the full measure of the life, the full that God has for that. I've got to see that it's not only their actions, it's what's happened to me that is horrendous. I've been made into something less than what I can be, and this wound is evidence of it. Their bad action is continuing to pump poison into my life. The poison weakens me, and the poison harms me. I've got to get freedom over it. And the way I get freedom over it is considering what God has done for me and asking God to heal me and asking God to bless them. And it is an absolutely freeing day when the day comes when you pray for them and you ask God to bless them and you don't have to repent. When you pray the prayer and you go, hey, I really meant that today. I, I see that that's, that would be a good thing. Instead of me not wanting good things for them. Forever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. Bitterness, anger, hatred. They are like deep stains in the carpet. You clean them and the carpet looks great today. And two days later you walk back in and that deep stain in the carpet, what's it done? It's worked itself right back up to the top. And you got to work on it again. That happens sometimes in the deep stains of our life. So, what do we do? We begin to clean the carpet day after day, time after time. Replace it if necessary. In your appointment with God, ask Him to remind you of people you need to forgive. If you've said, boy, I've never heard God talk to me, ask him that question. You'll hear him right away. 
He'll start talking to you right off. It's going, it's going to come real quick. He's going to, names are going to pop into your mind and pop, pop into your spirit of people that you need to get over if you're ever going to have life to fall. Then pray, God, I know my heart needs to be cleansed of this wound. So I submit it again to you today, and I ask you to bless the one who wounded me. And I'm going to do this every day until I can pray that and be honest. Jesus is the way, the best life ever. But listen, the best life ever starts at a very strange place. It starts at, the, at, a, at a cross on a hill called Calvary. If you think about that, we, we, we have nothing like this that we can imagine. I mean, the worst scenes that we have are television scenes that all of us know are television scenes. This was a real scene. This was around the community. Crosses would be put up where everyone could see them and people would be nailed to them. The cross was a place of death, but not just anything. They could have killed people. They killed people a lot of different ways. The cross was a place of torturous death. It was a place where a living person would exist in hopelessness before they died. It was a place that was meant to be filled with pain, agonizing death. It was meant to terrorize the people who saw it so they would obey. It's a horrendous thing. The cross is a living picture of the actual result of sin in our lives. This is what takes place. And this is what is set for us. This is what sin does to us. Sin is doing life our way instead of God's way. When we love our sin, when we defend our sin, when we excuse our sin away and say it's not, I, I, can, I don't have to be kind to that person, I don't have to forgive that one. We miss the vision of what a Christless life looks like for us. It's a picture of the cross. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth the hopeless death of the cross in our life. Yes, that little sin in me that I want to excuse away, that nobody knows about besides me, that I have grown comfortable with and have accepted and have, and have made all the excuses for, that is the one that's going to get me. And yet Jesus went to that cross willingly for you and for me. Innocent, not deserving of it. He went to it willingly, not by the force of man or nature. He went to it of his own choice and gave his innocent blood on it so that any one of us who are guilty could be covered by his blood and be set free before God we could be delivered. And our call is to receive him and put our faith in him to be our savior and put our trust in him to be our Lord. Jesus changes the picture of the cross from hopelessness to hope, from pain 
to health, from death to life. The cross becomes a picture of God's love and Jesus bridging the gap between our sin nature and our separation from God, bridging that gap so we can once again have communion with God the Father and we can be healed in our very nature. And friends, for every one of us, we've got to determine, what are you going to believe about the cross? What will you do with this act of love that the church is built on? That we're here today because he went to the cross, he died, he was put in a, in a grave, and as we sang today, but death had no hold on him. The breath of life came into him because it had no power, because he did not have a broken sin nature like we do. And because of it, he came up out of the grave. And he offers us, who do have that grip of sin on us, a way of freedom so we can stand before God and live for eternity. So, are you going to reject it? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to receive it? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. You know the condition of every heart in this room. I know you love every person in this room deeply. Father, some of us are the people that have hurt someone else, and you still love us. We're thankful for your mercy. And we pray you to help us to offer that mercy to others. Lord, speak to us. Father, if, if we have wandered into a complaining, overwhelmed spirit that doesn't trust you, speak to us this week. Let us be a thankful people. Father, if, if we have a tendency to be quarrelsome about stuff and just you know, be less than kind. Speak to us. And Father, if there's places where we need to be more kind, urge us, touch us. And Lord, I pray today, if there's anyone in this room who has not considered the cross and the work that your son has done on, let, let your spirit convict and draw them right now. I know you love them in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. If you'll say, Pastor, I'm not sure my heart's right with God. I want to make sure it is before I leave this place today. I want to make sure I'm in right communion with Him. I don't want to, I don't want to take the risk of standing before Him and have not received His Son into my life. If that's you, just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want to make sure my heart's right with God. I'm looking across this room for anybody here today. Yeah, God bless you, God bless you. Others today will raise your hand and say, pray for me. Anyone else? Anyone else? Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as the Savior of my life. I put my trust in Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Now I ask you to help me to live for him 
who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask a couple of our prayer team workers to come and stand over here to my left, if you would. And if you're one of those folks who raised your hand, I, I wanna invite you to take a next step. This is an important step. I wanna, I wanna invite you to you can get somebody to come with you. You can come on your own. Come over and see, uh, see Bob and Stacy and Paul over here. And uh, they're gonna take a couple minutes with you to really help make sure you have some things in your hand that you can pray about this week to help you grow in this walk with God. Don't leave here until you do that. Now, here's the final thing. I haven't prayed about this whole aspect of forgiveness yet. This is the stainless deep. Some of you, it's a hard, hard thing. And it's, it's messing with your life. And so today is the first day. Today we're going to, it's the first step of saying, God, heal me. It may be a journey for you. I don't doubt that. It may be a journey. God may set you free from it in an instant. But it may be a journey of God helping you overcome the bitterness and the anger, the hurt in your life. But let's start the journey. Amen? So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. If you raised your hand and, and you want to make sure your heart's right with God, or even if you didn't, you want to make sure you come over and see Bob and Stacy and Paul. But if you're standing here today and you say, you know what, there's... There's a name that, boy, pa Pastor, <laughs> I didn't have to wait till tomorrow morning for God to talk to me. I didn't have to wait. God talked to me while you were talking about a name, about a people, about a group. And that wound is still there. I still have bitterness. I still have some anger. I still have some frustration. I'm still defined in some ways by that wound. Now, I'm just going to ask you to step out from wherever you're at and just come down around the altar and say, as a gesture in your spirit to say, Lord, I'm laying this on the altar. In a few minutes, Dan's going to pray for you. And if you need help in this, go into your small group and talk about it. And begin to get people to pray for you. The day's going to come if you'll begin this journey. The day's going to come when you're going to realize that does not, that is not alive in me anymore. I am free. It's a great day. Hard to imagine when you're in the depth of it, but it's a great day.